Politics Podcast. I'm Josh X. And I'm Matt Hillsberg. We've been away for a while, and we apologize for the lateness of this podcast, but uh, better late than never. We had some uh, some stuff going on. Some of us were traveling. Others of us just uh, couldn't find the time. But we're back, and we're ready for more. We were we were helping Robert Mueller um, produce a report that didn't do anything. <laughs> we uh, We failed. Conclusively. <laughs> That's why we were so busy. We were too busy failing. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, I encourage you to, to return to our first podcast uh, and listen to the first five minutes to get more info. The basic understanding is that this podcast is kind of like a dinner. Uh, we're going to start you off with your pre-dinner shot, which is a question that we will pose to you. And you can either look it up during the podcast. You can look it up at the end. At the end, we'll give you the answer. Uh, but you'll start with your pre-dinner shot. Then you'll go to your appetizer, which is uh, something to get you warmed up. Uh, nothing too heavy, probably something that you've heard of before. Uh, we're just do a recap, something light. Uh, then we'll go to the entree, and the entree is the main course. Something that's really going to fill you up, uh, where you should really pay the most attention to, probably. And then the dessert is something sweet. Uh, it may not always have to do with politics, but sometimes it will. Uh, and in the answer section, we will also give you uh, the answer to the pre-dinner shot. So, um, Hills, anything to add? No, it's just we promised you a really big episode three, and we have one for you today. So, Do we, we are here. We're a little late, and, and you know, again, we apologize, but we're here to deliver on those massive expectations that you all have. So, <laughs> anyways, your pre dinner shot is coming up. Your pre dinner shot question tonight is which American statesman ran for the presidency four separate times in the 19th century and lost each time. Again, which American statesman ran for the presidency four separate times in the 19th century, so that's the 1800s, and lost each time? I was going to say, that's worse than Hillary. She, she should have run a couple more times. Maybe she would have won. <laughs> that's true. She, she only had two. She got two more times. <laughs> so that's your question. Uh, look it up. And we'll give you the answer at the end of the show. Uh, we're going to stop because it's Bob Mueller time. Bob Mueller. So what happened with the Mueller report? Uh, on a Saturday, Bob Mueller released his report. And uh, he submitted his final draft to the Justice Department. Now, Attorney General Bill Burr, who was handpicked by Donald Trump, uh drafted a top-line summary where he says uh, that Trump did not meet the criteria of, of obstruction and there was no collusion with the Russians. So um, it also says that Trump uh, is not completely exonerated. So despite his uh, tweet where he said uh, totally exonerated, that's not true because uh, that's not what happened. And the Democrats want a full report. So Are you doubting it. that he's fully exonerated? I'm saying that Trump has been known to lie. Just a, just a few small things. Just, not a lot. Just, just here and there. I mean, you know, it's a white lie every now and then. It doesn't matter that much. Yeah, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> uh, so what does the Mueller report say? Well, we don't know. <laughs> because we don't have the full report. We're hoping that Attorney General Bill Barr will release 
uh, full report. Um, so we should be cautious and know that this report is not going to make things better, uh, regardless of what Mueller put in the report, whether he says that Trump uh, is guilty or Trump did nothing, um, then, you know, Mueller is not going to save us. Bob Mueller will not save us. Uh, he's not the chosen one. Uh, Dems have to do the hard work. You got to put in the, the hours and talk about the issues. Um, what we do know is that the summary uh, says that there was, that it does not condone Trump's actions, but Barr didn't think it rose to collusion or obstruction. Uh, but this is important because uh, Bill Barr got his job uh, when he was in front of um, the senator saying that Trump cannot be indicted and that Trump's uh, Trump, Trump nominate, nominated Bill Barr because of his uh, anti-Muller bias. <laughs> Sounds really, really good. So the report... <laughs> doesn't say one thing or another, but the attorney general took it upon himself in his summary that only he knows to say that, oh, I read it doesn't, it doesn't do obstruction. I've heard him calling it now because he's the guy who said president can't be indicted anyway. So um, it makes, complete sense. makes complete sense and smells very fishy. And, uh, but Mueller did not make a determination. This is the big thing. This is the big takeaway. I think is that Mueller did not make a determination on obstruction or collusion, uh, but if you listen to the pundits, the report is indicating that he laid out both arguments, both he did it and he didn't do it, and it's really unclear about who he wants to decide. I like to think that he wants Congress to decide, which means that we're fucked because the, the Republicans will never do anything, but I don't know. Tell us what do you think. I think he meant it for Congress to decide, too. I did not – I mean, he's a very smart guy, so we don't know exactly what him and his team – thought or meant but i don't know if he thought that the ag was just going to come out and say i read the report it doesn't rise to obstruction of justice i think he clearly put that in there because he wasn't meant to take a side on it right exactly he got hired to do something he's a very matter-of-the-fact person he got hired to do this and here's what i found and i think democrats and people who don't like trump were just hoping that he had there was a phone call where trump called up putin and was like hey I need you to interfere with this election. And Putin's like, oh, sure. And anything short of that exact phone call is going to, uh, the, the media is going to try and say it's disappointment. Right. And I want to go back to something you said earlier, um, mm -hmm. which is that uh, there are two things. We don't know the report is out. So any of the reports that you're seeing in the media, we don't know what sources, we don't know how accurate they are. No one but the Justice Department has the full report right now. So no one actually knows what's in it. So when you're reading something about it, you, we don't have it yet. We can't verify it. The second thing is that um, Mueller is not the chosen one. He will not save us. Not that he was going to, to begin with, but we just – this is very blatantly clear now. We have to beat Trump on the issues. Yeah, there are other, other investigations right now, but honestly, we need, to, we need to take back those voters that voted for him on the issues, and we need to – match him with the issues that's what we need to do now right you know one of my favorite pieces that i saw on cnn was uh the Mueller probe who were the winners and the losers and it's like how can you possibly make that claim when you haven't even read the report yourself but <laughs> um uh towards the end of uh as we end our appetizer we're going to talk about what it means for three different people trump the dems and america so for trump Right now, it's probably it's probably good for him. It's probably a win. 
you know, I think that the support amongst the American people was kind of waning for the Mueller report to end because it had been going on for two years. The last time when Bob Mueller started his report, LeBron James was with, with, with the Cleveland Cavaliers to give you some kind of uh, measurement of time. Um, we're not really sure how the voters feel about this. You know, I think, like I said, support was was waning, but we can definitely expect Trump to be bold. Uh, I've already read it on Twitter and other sources of media that um, I think it was Rand Paul wanted to in- investigate Obama about what, who knows. Um, and someone wanted to now investigate Hillary Clinton again because she's just so important. Um, so, you know, Trump's going to be bold. His supporters are going to be bold. But like you said, Hills, we have to beat him on the issues, plain and simple. Yeah, I think uh, the thing you said about LeBron, does that reflect the Mueller probe worse or does that reflect LeBron James worse? <laughs> well, LeBron's not making the playoffs for the first time in like forever. So, so maybe him. Um, no, I, you're right. I think this is, this is if the, I don't want to say win, but this is good for Donald Trump. Uh, the report didn't come out. Whether he did the things or not, the report didn't, the report as we're hearing about it right now without actually seeing it indicates that you know, he they could have indicted everyone in this report, or Bob Mueller could have made a very, very strict determination that Trump did obstructed justice. Again, we do not have the report. We don't know. But right now, Trump is going to be extra, extra stupid, and he's going to be and he's going to piss off the rest of the country even more now because he's flying high. This whole thing has, that has been over him, he got out of without even an interview. So yeah, that's crazy. For now. Um, the Dems, how does it affect the Dems? Well, the Dems should, in one sense, they should hold off on, hold the fire on Russia until we officially get the report. But it's important to remind people that a president being under an investigation is not normal. And that alone should be disqualifying. Not to mention, when you look at the people who were charged, I'm going to run through them pretty quickly. Uh, Roger Stone, the former Trump advisor, was charged with uh, a, a charges was indicted on charges of lying to Congress and obstruction and witness tampering, and has uh, is currently in court. Uh, Michael Cohen, Trump's former fixer, former attorney, was charged with making false statements to Congress and pled guilty and sentenced to three years in prison. Paul Manafort, the former Trump uh, campaign chair was charged on two federal cases involving tax and bank fraud, money laundering, and obstruction, seven and a half years in prison, $24 million in restitution. George Papadopoulos, former Trump campaign aide, lying to the FBI, pled guilty for, uh, two weeks in prison. Seems a little, you know, light, but whatever. Uh, Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor, lying to the FBI. He pled guilty, waiting for his sentencing. Uh, Rick Gates, the former Trump campaign aide, uh, charged with conspiracy, lying to the FBI and special counsel's office, pled guilty. He's currently cooperating with other people. You have Alex Van Der Zwan, who is another Trump attorney, lying to the FBI. He was sentenced to a month in prison. You've got all these data people. You've got Konstantin Kimelik, who was associate with Paul Manafort, who was charged with, with obstruction of justice and conspiracy to obstruct justice. You have 12 intelligence agencies for uh, Russian for Russian intelligence, and you've got 13 Russians and their affiliated companies. So lots of people hills for a big for a witch hunt. Sounds like a lot of witches got got rounded up, right? <laughs> so we have to wait for the investigation to wrap up, um, and it's important to remember that there are still other investigations going on to other Trump things. So he's not done. 
But as you continue to say, focus on the issues that matter to the voters. Exactly. And a really good example of this is that just yesterday, the Trump administration, uh, the Justice Department announced, with Trump's blessing, obviously, that they are now arguing that the entire Affordable Care Act, they argue that most of the law was illegal, not every part, but now, they're, now they want the entire law out. So Dems won 2018 on health care. Like, that was a big thing. And now the, the Trump administration thinks that, like, oh, we're just going to do this now. Like, this is a huge issue that you can focus on because, honestly, the people, everyone around the country, don't, they don't pay attention to the Russia stuff. They, all they know right now is that Trump was cleaned because of the bar letter, right? right. They don't, we don't have the report, so that hasn't come out yet. They don't know about all those other investigations. What they do know is that when their health care gets taken away by the Trump administration – that's going to win their vote, not this investigation stuff. So the Dems really got to hold their fire and very be cautious about how into Trump investigation they want to do. They can do it, but honestly, they should do it quietly right now because what's going to win those voters is focusing on health care and those issues because no one uh, in, in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, I bet you they do not care right now. Right, exactly. Uh, what it means for America is America sucks. And uh, we have to focus on issues and looking at Dem president in 2020. Yeah, uh, this is not a great day. It was not a great day for America. I'm not saying Mueller did a bad job. He did what he needed to do, but uh, it was not the, not the outcome we needed as a country. Uh, totally agree. We need to elect them. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are going to get to your entree, but first we have an, a, a, a word from a couple of our sponsors. Yeah, we do. So now we have a few words from our sponsors. The first one is Bernie Beer. Are you tired of the top 1% to 2% of beers? Now there's a brew for the 99%. Introducing Bernie Brews. It's a smooth revolution taste with a Medicare for all finish. It's 98% alcohol content for the 98%. Oh man, what a beer. That sounds like it's just perfect for anyone who likes Bernie. <laughs> or wants to get shit-faced all right our next ad is from a new company called iron chef uh hills yeah aren't you tired of constantly struggling with your iron deficiency (laughs) oh you know it do you wish there was an easier way to introduce iron into your diet yes i do well i have good news for you introducing an all-new meal service called iron chef Iron Chefs, they give you the foods packed with iron. And if that wasn't enough, Iron Chef helps you multitask by giving you a real iron for your clothes. Listeners can get 45% off of their first order by using the code FUCKTRUMP. Once again, that's Iron Chef, and use the code FUCKTRUMP. Iron Chef, it's a better way to iron. (laughs) And our last one comes from Trump Security. Have you just been itching to get an ounce of Trump's white privilege Above the law, then security. Then this security package is for you. And, oh, actually, he's right here. Just like my fame university, you can get my foolproof comprehensive security package. Five easy payments from Russian oligarchs straight into my private businesses. It's really that easy. Have your nearest oligarch call me. They have my cell. Believe me. Okay? Trump security. So great. So fantastic. 
All the other security agencies are just bogus. Bogus. We'll take your money and provide you with nothing. Trump security. Feel better. Wow. Well, if those aren't some of the three best ads I've ever had or ever seen in my lifetime. Yeah. No, we really thank our sponsors. They really help us go on. Okay, everyone, now time for your entree. This is where we're going to be spending most of the conversation uh, on our podcast about. We're going to be talking about uh, the next round of 2020 Democratic candidates. So if you remember, since you're a very loyal listener, our first episode went through some of the people that who have already announced at, or, or were going to announce at the time. And now we have a new crop of candidates. So uh, we're going to go through them. Um, but we have Beto, we have Klobuchar, we have Biden, we have Buttig- uh Food a jig. I think I mispronounced that. We have Inslee, and we have Andrew Yang. Um, and we'll also talk about some people who are not running, and also where things stand and what it means to the Democratic Party as a whole. The first one is Beto. Beto O'Rourke. He uh, was a congressman from Texas. He ran for Senate against Ted Cruz in 2018. He did not win. He was super super close. It was only a few percentage points. Um, which is pretty astonishing for a Democrat almost winning the state of Texas. It is a testament to A, Beto O'Rourke's strategy in Texas and his, uh, his uh, going out to the rural communities to try and offset Cruz's support there and also how much people hate Ted Cruz. <laughs> so Beto announced a few weeks ago, and he has been driving across the country. He did a, a, a two-day trip to all of New Hampshire's 10 counties a week ago. He likes standing on bar tables and <laughs> other tables. He's also very tall. He's very charismatic. Honestly, I think he has a shot to win. I do think he needs to overcome the first central thing is that, hey, I like you, Beto. You're charismatic. You remind me a little bit of Obama and maybe a young guy. Um, but why should I vote for you if you were just a congressman for a few years and didn't make a substantial impact? but also lost the Senate seat. So why should I vote for you rather than a senator like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, especially if Biden gets in the race? Like, why should someone vote for Beto with his track record like that? And it was a question Obama had to answer too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. It's, 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 it's odd because he lost the race. So that's an odd thing to be like, I should be your president even though I lost this race. It's, it's an odd thing. Um, he's definitely charismatic. I, I think he has to be careful. He stepped in it a little bit and him stepping in it is so, I, I wish he wouldn't apologize so much. He seems like, he seems, he seems almost like too nice because what he said that, uh, he's taken for granted that his wife has kind of raised the family and then went back and apologized. I was like, Oh, I can't I said that. I'll be much more careful on how I phrase things. And it's, it's, it's like, you don't have to apologize if that's the truth. If you've been out being busy and being a congressperson and your wife has raised the family, it doesn't mean that you think that women should just stay in the kitchen. It just, it's the reality of your marriage. It's the reality of your, of your situation. Like, when you constantly apologize, I feel like you, you diminish yourself a little bit. And it's so easy for Trump to point you out as being a wimp or being a loser or being whatever. And we can't have a candidate that... Um, that can fall into that trap so easily. And so I, I like Beto. I think 
regardless of whether he runs or not, the, gla- the grassroots that he created in Texas is huge and will be a huge bump for Dems everywhere, especially in Texas. But, um, and it's so early. I mean, who knows? But I just feel like early on, he just kind of stepped in it in more ways than one. Yeah, and I also, I'm also very curious about his policy positions because he's not as progressive as Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. He's going to be more mainstream Democratic Party and I and all these candidates are going to have policies that are really, really inventive and good, but also they all need to step. They all need to separate themselves from each other somehow. So other than personality, he's going to have to show some policies uh, soon and that really compel people to vote for him rather than, you know, Kamala Harris just requests a huge pay raise for public school teachers. The details are coming out this week, but that's a huge policy, right? Um, you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have had all these progressive policies that come out. Um, so it's still early for him, but he really has to take his momentum and also couple it with policy that are going to catch fire. Right. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Amy Klobuchar. Sure. Uh, so Amy Klobuchar, she is uh, the senator from the state of Minnesota. She gave her announcement during a winter blizzard. Um and she is tough. I, I like her a lot. I think she's tough. There have been reports that have come out about how she's a mean boss, how she, you know, made her her staffer, uh, like, I don't know, she ate something with a comb, and then she had her staffer clean the comb or, or something. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I think all of this is overblown. I think that if this were a man, uh, then it wouldn't be an issue. Uh, because it's, it's a woman, she has to watch the sexism line that is bound to follow any female candidate, especially her. Um, she she gave a town hall. I think her answers were really impressive. They were really uh, thought out uh, well, and, and and she's tough, and I like that. I like that she doesn't take uh, shit lying down. Um, you know, I think in, I think she could be an asset, whether it's the president or the vice president, in states like uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin maybe even Arizona or Iowa, I think those are all uh, gettable for her because she, she, one thing that she does well is she wins her races and she wins them by a large margin. Um, and she's a woman, you know, I, I think she has a lot going for her. She has not caught on in the polls yet. I think the first, I mean, really Iowa is going to be big for her. She has to do well in Iowa. Otherwise she, you know, there's so many candidates. She risks uh, the, the, she runs the risk of a, uh, being kind of left out. Um, but I think she's smart, and I think she's a good politician. I think she's a good candidate. I just know if she's going to be able to catch fire like the other candidates, because right now she's in, like, the 1% range. Yeah, and not the top 1% range. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you're, you're right. I think she's super smart, and the whole thing about the staff, like, has she treated her staff poorly? I'm not sure. I don't look into it. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think if it were a man... Um, some of those criticisms may not have came up. And I think she's really smart and she was a great lawyer and she's got a really keen eye on that. Just, I think you're right. Uh, when you have people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Beto, potentially Biden in the race, uh, is there going to be a, a grassroots contingent that goes door to door knocking for Klobuchar um, outside the Midwest region? I'm not so sure, especially when you talk about the primaries. The most people who vote in Democratic primaries are the African-American community, suburban women, and potentially some young people. So 
when you take those three groups who make up the majority of Democratic primaries over the past few years, do you see her winning in places like South Carolina, in the South, where that's where Hillary really cleaned up Bernie last time around? Mm-hmm. Hillary won most of the South and Central United States and their delegate count. And Bernie, even though he did a late surge, he couldn't compete because the delegates were already wrapped up. I can't see her competing in these really key states. So I'm waiting to see how she navigates that and what her plan is for that. Yeah, one other thing I want to say about the toughest issue is, you know, maybe she's a tough boss, but she wins, you know, and so she gets results. You know, do you want to have a tough boss who's a bit of a hard ass who constantly loses? I think she has, she knows what it takes to win. And if it means that you don't get your hand held the whole time, then, you know, tough shit. But. Yeah, she definitely knows what it means to win. And I also think even if she doesn't win the nomination, she's going to be crucially important to talking to, honestly, Midwestern voters, because that's where the Democrat, the Democrat has to repeat Hillary Clinton's map and add a combination of the Midwestern states and or Florida. So um, and I'm including Pennsylvania and Midwestern, even though it's not completely Midwestern there. But uh, she's going to be crucially important to helping them take those states and that's something to think about going forward. Right. All right, let's talk about Biden. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Oh, oh, Joe. You know, it's when Joe was a vice president, it was easy uh, to forget how his biggest weakness is his constant gaffes. You know, he said he ha- he's the most progressive of anyone, of anyone who's running or who would run. So that's their indication he's going to run. Someone said, uh, when are you going to tell us about if you're running for president? He said, soon. So hopefully we'll know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe when you hear this podcast, you already know that Joe Biden is uh, is running. Um, you know, and then there was the whole thing where he said that he might uh, announce Stacey Abrams as his VP, which is a really bad move. I, I get what he's trying to do. He's trying to, you know, include a young African-American woman on, on, on his ticket. But, like, do you don't even have the nomination yet. So, you ha- like... It just feels like you're just disrespecting the rest of the crowd, being like, "Oh yeah, well if I win, and if you want an African American woman on the ticket, then you vote for me because I've already talked to Stacey Abrams, and she had a great response, and she was like, you know, if, if I'm going to enter the primary, I'll enter the primary. I don't need someone to invite me. So that, that doesn't look great. You know, he walked back his Anita Hill comments, which will come back to him. But I, I continue to believe that despite all this minor stuff." that Joe Biden is the best candidate to beat Donald Trump. I think everything you said is exactly right. Uh, On the Stacey Abrams part, for sure. I think whoever floated that idea, it's so disrespectful to A, Stacey Abrams, and B, the rest of the primary. Like, don't announce your vice president pick before you even actually enter the primary. Um, And especially, like, you know, to Stacey Abrams, she's a very intelligent woman who also lost her Senate seat, um, but is thinking about running either as president or in the Senate in Georgia. But um, you know, I, the thing about Biden is he's getting some flack in the media for saying, oh, if I say Republicans nice, you know, uh, you know, then sue me or so he didn't say that, but right. he said something else. Uh, he's a very he's been in the Senate for so many years. He knows all these old time senators. He's from a different era of Washington. I still think he'd be a really, really, really strong candidate when and if he enters this race, because honestly, a lot of people really like him. And And the biggest thing is that he connects so much with these Trump Midwestern voters. I was watching something on uh, CNN the other day, and not that this is scientific, but 
there are there are voters in Michigan and and Ohio that like, oh, if Joe Biden was a nominee, I'd consider voting for him. Like, mm-hmm. they really like this guy. And for me, I want someone who's a really good candidate, and I want someone who's going to win because the amount of damage Trump has done from to, to families to the environment to everything under the sun that everyone else cares about is so detrimental. And it's so much further than having the difference between Warren and Booker and Biden and to having Trump and destroying what we care about in this country. I'd, I'd pick deficiencies in a candidate over Trump any day. So yeah, um, he's definitely going to take up money on this field when and if he, he comes in. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, you know, I, I don't want him to wait, but for so long because it seems like Bernie Sanders is really catching fire now. He's doing, you know, all these different um, rallies, and he's had huge rallies in California. And you know, I heard I think it was on Pods of America. I heard that Biden was like worried about his fundraising because this uh, this election, more than any anyone else I can remember, is going to be about grassroots. And does Biden have the grassroots? Uh, that he needs to compete in this field, I think is the big question for him. And he should, because he should have connections with every single Obama person. I mean, the Obama people, by all accounts, love Joe Biden. They all thought he was a great person. And as soon as you enter, you you just say, hey, call those guys. Hey, I'm doing it. And I'm sure they'd be more than happy to help you. Um, he, he, he just needs to get into the race. Yeah, I'm wondering when he's going to announce because you you think he would announce like everyone announced really early. So but now is around the time that you should announce your presidency. I think Hillary did in April as well. Yeah. So if, if he doesn't announce within the next month and a half, I'm debating whether he's even going to get in. But yeah. we should know in the next few weeks whether he gets in this race. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Pete Buttigieg. I think oh, boy. His, his name right. I think you are too. Uh, Hills, I really like Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is the uh, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, uh, which is a Republican area. He is the first openly gay Democratic candidate for office. And if he elected, he would be the first openly gay president, uh, as well as the youngest. He is 37. Uh, he is an impressive person. Uh, went to Harvard. He served uh, in the military. Um, he was he's uh, was deployed in Iraq. He is currently and he remains a lieutenant in the Naval Reserve. He was a naval intelligence officer, um, and then he went to Indiana and became the first. It became the first uh, openly gay mayor. He got uh, he had some work with the DNC chair. Um, you know he speaks Norwegian, Spanish, Italian, Maltese, Arabic, Dari, French, and English. Uh, wow. As, as well as playing the guitar and the piano. I mean, he's an incredibly bright person. And uh, I heard that he is definitely going to be on the debate stage for the first one because he passed both the following. I think you need, we'll talk about this later, but you need like 65,000 followers or donations or whatever. Uh, he passed that and he's pulling in the t- in one, two, three percent, anywhere in that range. Um, he's an impressive person and I really like him as a candidate. Yeah, he's very interesting because you don't normally think of a mayor as being a presidential candidate, especially not of a, a smaller, medium-sized town as South Bend. Not like you would say, may, like Los Angeles or New York or Dallas or something like that. Um, 
I agree with you. I think he's a very intelligent person. He he learned Norwegian because he wanted to read more books by a fun author, and they they weren't translated. So he learned the entire language. That's unbelievable. Uh, you may be wondering, yeah, it's unbelievable, right? Uh, you may be wondering why he speaks Maltese. Uh, his family is from Malta. I looked into that. I was very curious. No, he's very impressive. He's very eloquent. He has a really good stump speech as mm-hmm. well. Uh, he, I think he just gets exactly what people want to hear right now. And I think he actually believes that as a person. Right. Or at least I hope so. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's... Uh, I, I think he, he's gaining in popularity... Norwegian reporters who come up to him uh, and he just answers in, in Norwegian and Trump can't find uh, Norway on a map. So, um, you know, it's, it's incredible. And I think uh, I, I have a strong feeling as the debates come around, I think more people are going to look into him. I think the reason he's so low right now is just like, he has no name ID. Um, and there's no reason why a mayor of South Bend, Indiana, can't become the next president, Donald Trump is president. So if Donald Trump can do it, then anyone can do it, especially someone as smart and as qualified as people to judge. And if he does not win the nomination, I hope he sticks around. I hope he continues to run because he's a very, very, I think he's going to play a big role uh, in the future of the party. I could easily see him as a VP. Yeah, you know, you have a, a young, a young progressive that, uh, you know, maybe puts Indiana in yeah. play and is smart and can go toe to toe with Pence. And that, wow, that'll be a big contrast. You have two Indian, Indiana, Indiana Hoosiers, yeah, I think that's what they are. Uh, you have Pence versus Buttigieg, someone who, Buttigieg, uh, someone who hates gays uh, versus an openly gay, intelligent mayor in a debate. That would be He something. also said about Pence, he said that Pence is at the very least complicit with the uh, uh, resurgence of white nationalists. So I would look forward to a debate. People just can call Pence on his bullshit. Yeah. All right. I think he, he's someone yeah. to watch. You got to keep an eye on Agreed. him. Next, we have Jay Inslee. He is the current governor of the state of Washington. Ooh. He was a long time. Oh, boy. <laughs> not, not into Inslee. Not. Um, he was a rep- He was a longtime representative in Washington. His whole campaign, he wants to be the climate candidate. And not that all the other candidates haven't mentioned the climate change is an existential threat, which it is, um, and that we need some action, whether it's a Green New Deal or anything else, we need action 10 years ago. But he really wants to take up this space as the climate candidate, where he's done some pretty good things on climate, but I'm not sure he quite gets the bona fides of the climate candidate, even though he wants to take the mantle. My thoughts on Jay is that, yeah, he's got great policies, and I think he's a well-intentioned person. I, I, I don't see where he thought his entry into this field was. I don't know if there was a really – I mean, he's, he's, I think, fairly popular in, in Washington, but I don't think it's something to the extent of, like, Charlie Baker, who has, like, 78 approval rating in Massachusetts as a Republican. You know, this guy's – Jay Inslee, I'm not sure what cause prompted him to be in the race, maybe other than him wanting to. Um, his climate per, his climate policies are good, and I think they can even be better. Um, and the fact that he's elevating this issue is important, but I'm not sure where his path is here. Yeah, I just I don't think that you can come out and say you're the climate candidate and then hope that that just, that just propels you up because it's just not going to. I look, I like Jay Inslee. I think he's a good person. Uh, I have nothing against him. I just I just think. 
you know, like he just doesn't like he's 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 boring, and yeah, you want to do stuff with climate change. Well, guess what? So does everyone else. It's not it's you know it's not a defining feature. Now I could see him being a member of of, of a cabinet for sure. Uh, you know, head head of VPA, uh, head of the depart- head of some some department. I think that's a great spot for him. But uh, I think James Lee is just doing this to either sell a book or get a position in a cabinet. Yeah, I agree with you, and it's kind of we're not we we haven't really talked about him either. But Hicklin Hicklin oh, Hooper, yeah, who was the governor of Colorado, he announced too, but he's very very centrist, almost to the point where he's making a point to be centrist. Both of them, I'm not sure where they thought their opening was um, on this. Uh, I can easily see Inslee as as an EPA administrator or something like that. But in terms of winning the nomination, I think it's slim to none, and I would guess that he drops out. Um, shortly, maybe this fall, or if he makes it to the makes it to the Iowa caucus, right after the Iowa caucus. And what the real question is with all these candidates, because there's so many of them, who do they all start to coalesce around? Because those will be the candidates that end up mm-hmm, going to be absolutely. Who does if Booker doesn't win? Who does Booker endorse? If Ensley doesn't. If Ensley bows out early, who does he endorse? If Buttigieg bows out early, who does he endorse? Who are these candidates thinking? What deals are being made between them? Because when you have these endorsements from different people, that's going to be a big boost to these specific candidates. When Jay Ensley drops out, I will be watching very closely to see who he endorses because the the one Jay Ensley fan is going to jump on on that on that bandwagon. So, man, to any listener in Washington who is a fan of Jay Ensley. Uh, you know who to talk to after oh, this. Oh man, <laughs> going hard on Jay Inslee. Poor, poor Jay Inslee. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just berating. He's just trying to help Josh, and and you are saying, uh, uh-uh, uh, go back. I'm saying, I, I don't want your help, Jay. Get out of here. All right, let's talk about. <laughs> go back to Seattle, Jay. Let's talk about Andrew Yang, the last of the new candidates. Earlier in this podcast, we were talking, and Hills and I both realized we don't know a lot about Andrew Yang. Uh, so are we talking about him? He is someone who I think is gaining in popularity ever so slowly. He is a entrepreneur. Uh, he founded um, the Venture for America, the VFA, um, and uh, some other healthcare industry. Uh, the Obama team really, really likes him. The Obama team in 2012 called him a champion for change. Uh, so he, so Obama's a big fan of him. Uh, he went to Brown in Columbia, so he's a smart person. Uh, he would be the first uh, Asian candidate uh, for president and for the uh, Democratic Party. Um, the one thing that we should talk about with uh, Andrew Yang is his position about a universal income. Uh, basically, he believes that everybody who is middle class or um, – I think I'm just right. It's middle class or – definitely if you're lower class, uh, gets $1,000 or gets $1,500 or something. Um, and, you know, that's a, uh, a very aggressive idea. It's $1,000 a month, by the way. Uh, to all U.S. citizens who are over the age of 18, I just found that. Um, and that's a lot. And, you know, where does that money come from? Well, he's going to want to tax rich corporations a lot. Um, you know, I... I think that, again, he has low name ID. Uh, he will be part of the first debate because he received over 65,000 donations. So he's going to be yeah, he's wow. going to be part of the first debate. Um, it'll be very, very interesting. 
That's very interesting. I think the idea of universal basic income is something that Hillary almost announced, but she didn't. It's an interesting idea, especially I think because he want, he's thinking like automation is taking a lot of jobs. So people are going to just need money. And there are a lot of other countries like Finland that are actually experimenting with universal basic income. Um, they're doing pilot programs. So it's an idea that it's actually gaining traction in different parts of the country. And I think it should be explored further. But I kind of see him as like the Elon Musk of the presidential yes. candidates. And I feel like he's got this really big cult following of people who are just like, oh, he's very like super logical and super technology oriented. Interesting, he's gonna be part of the first debate. So we that's someone I guess they keep an eye out for if he's gonna be on that main debate stage, he's gonna definitely say some things that are gonna make people look at him a sec a first or second time. Yeah. His uh his slogan, by the way, is uh, humanity first. That gives you any kind of details about what he uh, believes he wants to have a White House psychologist. He wants to make tax day a national holiday. He wants to kind of weed out uh, lobbying because he believes that after uh, you leave public service, he wants to put limits on the private work that you can do after you leave public service. So someone to look out for, for sure. Uh, well, we'll see him at the debates. Um, I know we just want to talk quickly about some people who decided not to run, which we thought were important. So there's two of them. The first one is Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City. He also is current CEO of the Bloomberg company, which he founded. He decided to not run probably because he thought he wouldn't survive the Democratic primary, especially as a uh, a very, you know, pro-business. Um, he's he's very progressive on some issues, but uh, his track record in New York City has some things to litigate. Um, he he probably didn't see a path for him, and he knows that a third-party race would only split the Democratic ticket. So, but he has committed millions and millions and millions of dollars. I think it was like a hundred million. It was some insane figure that he's committing to the 2020 election to help get rid of That's Donald great. Trump. So. Uh, he's got a lot of money to throw around and I'm sure everyone's going to be going to him and he's going to be funding groups and packs like that. So it could be even more than a hundred million. Um, so he's got very deep pockets and the fact that he isn't running is honestly probably a good thing for the apparatus around the presidential candidate. So what you're saying is that Michael Bloomberg is the chosen one. He could be the chosen Michael one. Bloomberg, he, <laughs> Michael was, Bloomberg yeah. is, the Bob, is, is Bob Mueller before Bob Mueller released his terrible report <laughs> he is the bob Mueller before bob Mueller with a lot of money michael bloomberg the og bob Mueller episode title there it is but <laughs> it could very well be the episode title the og bob michael Mueller. bloomberg the og bob Mueller. <laughs> i'm actually reading that michael bloomberg is preparing at least 500 million from his own funds um potentially and even more so I mean, to have that money to throw around, that would be great if he could maybe do a little bit of other things with it. But um, he's got a lot of money, so that's one of the things. And the other, and Josh, you want yeah, to go to the other uh, one? Sherrod Brown, Senator from Ohio. This one surprised me a little bit because he went on a listening tour where he was going to, uh, you know, listen to everyone. And he's a, he's a Midwest candidate. He decided the field was too crowded. Uh, he has committed fully to uh, campaigning for whoever the nominee is. Uh, and, you know, just at the time wasn't right for him. Uh, it's, <clears throat> it's an interesting pick. Uh, I think he could definitely be in contention for a VP pick again. Um, but I think with so many candidates, 
you know, you've got your very liberals in Bernie and Warren. You've got your more centrist in Joe Biden, uh, Hagen Luber, uh, fucking Inslee. Um, I don't know why I'm picking on Jay Inslee. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think that there just wasn't space for him. Uh, he would have been a good candidate, I think. He fits the Midwest vibe. He kind of fits in the Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin area. Um, but he chose not to. And uh, I think that's it. I think the important thing is he, like Bloomberg, has committed to uh, to helping sort of the, the Democratic candidates. Yeah, I think it's important. Uh, he might be the Ohio Midwest whisperer. Again, I think if he got in early, he would have blocked out another candidate. There only can be so many candidates of the same stripe in the in the race. And when you have uh, as many as we do right now that are declared or under an exploratory committee, there just sometimes isn't enough room, even if you are slightly different. Right. Absolutely. So where where do things stand right now? What what does it mean to Dems, particularly around the debate? So um, very quickly, the people who are running for candidate, you have Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Julian Castro, John Delaney, Tulsi Gabbard, Chris and Gillibrand. Um, we don't know for sure, but apparently Mike Gravel, who is a senator from Alaska, uh, who is ancient, he's like almost 90, he apparently... Last from the yeah, past, that was 2008. apparently considering a run. You have Kamala Harris, you have John Hickenlooper, Jay Inslee, Amy Klobuchar. Um, you have uh, Wayne Messam, who is the uh, mayor of Miramar, Florida, who's apparently about to announce. You have Beto... You have Bernie, you have Warren, uh, you have Andrew Yang, and another candidate who just announced was Marianne Williamson, who is a teacher, author, lecturer, entrepreneur, and activist. 18 candidates right now. Uh, there are a lot. I think the important thing is that all the candidates are being nice to one another. There's no bad blood yet. No one's putting anyone down. Everyone wants to run a very positive campaign. Um, for the first debate, at some point in June, we don't know when, uh, it's going to be hosted by MSNBC. We'll let you know as soon as we know anything. Uh, but we know that the rules are you have to have 65,000 uh, donors or be at least at 1% in a poll. I was reading that Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, Amy Klobuchar, Be- Beto, Bernie, Warren, Andrew Yang, Joe Biden, if he enters – would all be in on that first, at least on that first, uh, in that first main stage debate. Because they all hit the following uh, requirements. Then you'd have uh, John Delaney, Tulsi Gabbard, Gravel, uh, Hickenlooper, fucking Jay Inslee, uh, Messam, and other... Gillibrand. Yeah, Gillibrand would be at that 1%. Talk about Kristen Gillibrand for just a second. She, I felt bad for her because she chose to make her nomination official on Sunday after the Bob Mueller report uh, in front of Trump Tower and just got no coverage because the timing was just off. So, you know, that's not great, but, uh, you know, she really has to uh, get things going just like just like Yang and all those other people. She's got to get stuff going. Yeah, what a weekend to, to do an announcement. Uh, the weekend of the biggest report to hit to hit uh, the 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 justice department <laughs> for the last couple of years. I mean, just poor timing. Can't, can't do anything nope, about that. Can't. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of candidates. It should be a fun debate. Agreed. Uh, so here comes your dessert coming up next.
So welcome to your dessert. You're at the end of the meal. And now we're going to hit you with a couple of sweet things uh, to, you know, after you got through that 2020 discussion, uh, you need something sweet for your palate. So the first thing is the school strikes for the climate. So uh, two weeks ago on the 15th, uh, over 1.5 million uh, ditched school and demonstrated for more climate action. And this was everywhere. There were different comparisons because of different rules and different, um, you know, spaces that civil society allows you to. You can't really do demonstrations in Russia. You can do big demonstrations in the United States and Canada. Um, but over 1.5 ki million kids demonstrated for more climate action. And, you know, these are these are high school kids. And I think that's very inspiring that you had the biggest climate mobilization in history take place. Awesome. And it was for kids that were between the ages of, I'm, I'm assuming, 13 and 18. Like, that, if that's not hope for the next generation and for more progress, I'm not sure what is. So um, uh, it was started by a, a, a young girl named Greta Thunberg. She's, a, she's from Sweden. And she really uh, got this going. And I'm sure there'll be more to come on this. So just keep it on your radar um, that this is something that's active and, and is probably going to make an impact. That's awesome. It's, it's fantastic. And I hope that it inspires people here in the States and just know that, you know, those people, some of those people, if they're Americans, they can be voters. And that's something that, you know, young, the next generation cares about. And we're slowly but surely weeding out all the old timers who don't either believe in climate change or give a shit about climate change. Um, Which they should, because uh, when their grandkids uh, may have to evacuate cities and or there's stronger hurricanes and they're asking their grandfather why they didn't do anything about this, they're not going to have a good answer. Um, speaking of younger, y younger people, let's talk a little March Madness. Uh, the Elite Eight and the final, sorry, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight games are this weekend. Uh, left in the tournament is uh, Duke, Virginia Tech. LSU, Michigan State, uh, Gonzaga, Florida State, Texas Tech, Michigan, uh, Kentucky, Houston, Auburn, UNC, Tennessee, Purdue, Oregon, and I'm missing one. Oh, God, what's the last one that I'm missing? Oh, right, UVA. Go Who's Go, obviously. Uh, the, the Who's are about to make it into the Elite Eight when they beat Oregon uh, tomorrow at 10 p.m. Everyone should watch. Uh, Mark Bannis is fun. And uh, Hills, how's your, we're in a little bracket uh, challenge. How's your bracket doing, Hills? I'm a dead last. <laughs> I'm a dead last. Hey, I chose Michigan State to win that specific bracket that's in dead last. So I'm the only one in the bracket who chose that. So if they win, you know, joke's on everyone else because I won't be last anymore. Yeah, but Hills, uh, they're not going to because UVA is going to win. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll see about that. Josh was last for uh, a couple of days, and uh, he no, got some no. slack for that. Jo Josh was last for maybe the first day, and now <laughs> Hills has someone in dead last and someone in tenth. And meanwhile, my picks are seven and tied for fourth. So, for, yeah, for our listeners, I was dead last last year. It was very bad, and I'm re I'm reliving the nightmare this year, so I can't escape it. All right, uh, let's go ahead and let's give them the answer to the. Uh, the trivia question. Go ahead, Hills. Okay. So you were patient, and the answer to the to the pre-dinner shot, uh, this American statesman who ran uh, for the presidency in the 
four times in the 18th century, and I'm sorry, the 19th century, and lost. His name was Henry Clay. He was former Speaker of the House. He, uh, he was called the Great Compromiser, and he was a great orator. Um, he was one of the three triumphants of American senators in the 19th century, along with Daniel Webster and John C. Calhoun. Um, he ran in 1824, 1832, 1840, and 1844 presidential elections. And he actually received the nomination in 1844, but he lost to James Polk. Um, so he came pretty close. And nice. um, he tried he tried his best, but, you know, four times running and not receiving the nomination, he settled for Speaker of the House instead. I think that wraps up what is an excellent and huge uh, third episode, as we promised. Quick note for you guys. We are now on Twitter. Uh, you can follow us at, at Course 3. That's at capital C-O-U-R-S-E capital T-H, sorry, capital T, lowercase h-r-e-e so that's at course three uh follow us we'll give you a, a follow back uh hills where can people reach us via email if they're not into the twitterverse again you can always email us at three course politics at gmail.com and we'll answer questions as best we can for you uh, we hope to have a more reg- regular schedule of episodes going forward um you know we're shooting for i'd say every other week or so um, yeah. But we'll continue to keep you updated if things change. Yeah, follow us on Twitter. We'll give you updates there. We'll we'll tweet things there. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll get into more of a rhythm. But this giant feud that Hills and I have right now is really not helping the podcast. <laughs> really not helping it. You know, me being in dead last really, <laughs> really uh, in the bracket really screwed me. So when you were giving me a flack, I, I was like, oh, I can't do a podcast with this guy. <laughs> you know, we, we thank everyone for listening yeah. and it's a joke for the listeners, it's a joke. But thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. And Hills, it's been great talking to you. Been great talking with you. And I'll we'll, we'll talk again soon. Alright, bye guys. Alright, bye everyone.